Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I'm going to do a teaching today. It'll be a one-off teaching. I don't do a lot of one-off teachings, um, which means it's not in a series. It's going to be a standalone series, a standalone sermon. And I'm going to do this sermon intentionally. I, I have, I've had a couple people ask me, man, are you tired? I'm not tired. I'm telling you, I'm not tired today. I am burdened today. The sermon that I'm about to give you, I've been, has really been burning in me for about uh, six months, six weeks to, to a couple of months because the church needs to hear it, and it's an inconvenient truth. I believe that the church, the big C church, especially in America, is under attack. And sadly, it's under attack from the people that sit inside of it more often than not. And so it's our responsibility, it's my responsibility to protect this house by delivering the truth of the Word of God to you. And so I'd start by asking the question, what would you do to protect the people that God placed under your care? As a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, I would do whatever is necessary to ensure that the people that God has placed in my care are taken care of. That's my job. As a pastor... Outside of that realm, and, and as a pastor, my responsibility is to protect the flock from untruths and things that would harm you, and then to equip you to show you how to protect yourself. Amen? And so that's my intent today, is to give you the tools to equip yourself and protect yourself from false doctrine with a sermon titled, Protecting the Heart of Worship. The truth of the matter is, the church as a whole has been lulled to sleep. And it's been lulled to sleep by a loose, convenient doctrine that doesn't cost us anything. We feel good coming to church because we came to church. We don't listen a lot of times to what's being said and what we do here. And in a large portion of the American church isn't proper teaching, isn't proper doctrine. And this house needs to be protected against such things. And so I'm going to talk to you today out of Jude to talk to you about how to protect those things, why those things are necessary to protect, and have the hard conversation with you. And I would just ask that you be in prayer for me while I do it so that I can be both succinct and pointed. Amen? So, before I do that, because this is going to be probably, probably a harsh word, it's a, but I want you to know I'm, I'm doing everything that I do according to Scripture in love. I'm about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, not because I want to hurt you, not because I want to show myself intellectual or superior to you any kind of way. I want to tell you what I'm about to tell you so that you can stand in proper relationship with God. 
And that is my only responsibility, to ensure that you have the tools necessary to stand rightly before God. Amen? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things that may cut you. Uh, they have certainly cut me in the preparation for this sermon. I've had to ask God for some forgiveness in some areas, and I would be anything but transparent if I didn't tell you that up front. And I'm going to correct a couple of things that even I've allowed in this church before we get done today. Why do I do it? I do it, as I've often quoted, because Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies his kisses. Because I love you, and I am your friend, contrary to what you may believe when you leave here, I'm going to tell you the truth. Everybody, everybody okay? All right. So we're going to talk today out of, out of Jude, which is a book I don't think I've ever heard a teaching out of, um, but should be taught on regularly the more that I study it. Be no, I think so. <laughs> but we have to protect our heart for worship, and Jude shows us how to do that. And he does it with three different statements or three different ideas. And here's the first one. Protecting our heart. When I say protecting our heart, I mean protecting our heart for worship, which means it's a general consensus of our lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be a lifestyle of worship. Everything we do should be to the glory of God, which is worship. And so when I protect my heart for worship, I protect my heart in regard to all things related to God. Amen? So protecting our heart means knowing who our heart belongs to. Jude starts out like this in 1 and 2. He said, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, Jesus' half-brother, to those who were called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. It's a pretty standard introduction in regard to New Testament uh, introductions, uh, New Testament letters. But he's telling them, he said, hey, before I talk to you, I need you to understand who you are. You need to understand what family you belong to. He said, you belong to the family of God. He says, you are a bondservant of Christ. And you have been called, beloved, in God the Father. God the Father, you belong to His family. Ephesians says this in 2.19, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. You belong to God. And let me tell you, every family, if I belong to God's family, every family has expectations. Many of you were raised probably pretty conservative. I know my papa didn't play. And there were rules of the house. There were things that I did, things I didn't do, things I could touch, things I couldn't touch, things I could say, things I couldn't say. There were expectations if you were going to live in papa's house. And now as an adult, there are expectations that I have of the people who live in my house. If you live in my house, if you're staying in my house, if you're visiting my house on Sunday, you're going to church. That's an expectation of you staying at our house. Amen? And so God, is it's reasonable that God would have expectations too. 
And what are those expectations? First, that we act as bond servants of Christ. We have to know who gave us what we have. We are bond servants of Christ. You know what that means? That's a fancy way of saying words that aren't comfortable for us today. We are slaves to righteousness, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. Jesus gave his own life on the cross to justify us and to redeem us, which means we don't have the right to do anything other than what he tells us to do because we are his property. Now, in the American society, we're all, oh, man, I don't like that verbiage. It doesn't matter if you like that verbiage. That's the verbiage that the Scripture uses, and that's how we should act. That's why Jesus Christ has to be declared as Lord if we are going to belong to him. Because as Lord, we are slaves to righteousness, according to Romans chapter 6. If you're interested in that, go and read the whole Romans chapter 6. And the whole thing will explain that to you. But we don't have the right or the privilege to deny the fact that we don't belong to us. And because we don't belong to us, there are expectations of how we should act. First, in mercy. Secondly, in peace. And third, in love. According to this text, he says, May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. We're expected to show mercy, which means to extend passion and forgiveness towards someone who is within our power to punish. If you have the ability to punish them, you have the authority to make their life miserable. Instead, you should be, we should be, we're called to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving towards them, long-suffering towards them. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. You're a slave of righteousness, you have to show them mercy. The So many in the church are at odds with the Word for this reason, because they are unwilling to forgive those who have slighted them. Your offense is not as big a deal as hell, I promise you. You just need to let it go. Be okay. This is one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. Be okay with nobody knowing your side of the story. Just walk away from it. Don't get bitter about it because a bitter root will always produce bad fruit. Not only mercy, we are expected to be people of peace. We talked about this the other day in the Easter series that we're supposed to walk in internal peace because Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit, lives in us. And so no matter what's going on around us, we should have a peace that is beyond comprehension, a peace that is beyond understanding. And the Bible tells us if we don't have that kind of peace, just ponder on the things that are incredible in your life that God has blessed you with, and you will have that peace. So not only externally or internally, but externally, which means that we have to be people of peace We have to be people that destroy or set aside conflict. Why? Because that's what slaves to righteousness do. Because this is what God expects us to do. Because we can't love them, which is the next thing, without doing that, without being people of peace. And we can't just love them like the world loves them, according to the Word of God. We have to love them as Christ Jesus loved them. We have to love each other as Christ Jesus loved us. Because I can say them, them, them all day long, but I don't want to negate the problems we have in here. 
We have to love one another like Christ loved us. What does that mean? That means sacrificially. That means you might have to give up some stuff. You know what some of the stuff you may have to give up is? Your convenience, your time, your finances, your unforgiveness, your anger, your malice, your temperament. I could go on and on and on about the stuff we could give up. The fact of the matter is, is if we're going to be people of mercy, as we're called to be people of mercy, if we're going to be people of peace, as we're called to be people of peace, as we're going to love the way we've been called to love, then we have to recognize that it's not our body, it's God's body, because we are slaves to righteousness, and we act according to how the Lord Christ Jesus commands us to act. Amen? So before we protect anything else, we have to protect us. We have to make sure and understand that we are living the life that we're supposed to be living, that we are personally protecting our heart for worship by being people that act as slaves to righteousness. Man, if we could just get that one thing figured out, I could just walk away from this thing and probably never preach again. Because a slave to righteousness will do whatever the Word of God says, regardless of whether you like it or not. A slave to righteousness will do whatever it is that causes you to be sacrificial towards other people, show mercy to them, love them, no matter how inconvenient it was for you. If we could just get the idea that we are to be, without exception, slaves to righteousness, everything else would be okay. We have to protect our understanding, our heart of worship, and first understanding that we don't belong to us. We don't belong to us, church. But that's not it. Protecting your heart also means watching our doctrine. All of it. This is where it's going to get a little funky for you. 3 through 16 reads like this, and I know it's a pretty decent piece, but listen. Beloved, I want you to pay attention to this real fast before I get into this. He's not talking to an unknowing, unsaved crowd. He is saying, bond servants of Christ. Those of you who have already identified yourself with Christ Jesus, the beloved, my family. While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after having a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went to alter strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in the undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So 5, 6, and 7, just so you know, are three examples of the kind of people that he's talking about and their end. which is destruction. He says, Yet in the same way, these men 
also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, which means judgment unto them. For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When, your feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, double dead, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That's a lot of words to say these people consist of nothing. You can see them, but they have no content. They have no value. They are just like the wind. They, they consist of nothing. It is also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners had spoken against them. These are grumblers finding fault, following at their own lusts. How they speak arrogantly, arrogantly flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That's a lot of words, Tony. Let me tell you what it means. It means to protect your heart. It means watching your doctrine. All of it. Jude talks to his reader about their common salvation, about content, contending earnestly for the faith. I love this text. I actually have a love-hate relationship with this text because this is, the, this is the verse that got my heart turned upside down, that really got me churning in this direction. In verse 3, he said, I was making every effort to write to you about your common salvation. Jude said, I just wanted to write to you about your salvation. I feel like he was trying to see, saying, I'm trying to give you a good word. I'm trying to encourage you. I just want to tell you about the common salvation and the benefits of it. But then he says this, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly with the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He said, I want to talk to you about common salvation, but instead, you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to talk to you about contending for the faith. I want to give you a loving message today. I'd love to come out of Easter. Every pastor I know tell you, man, coming out of Easter, you need to give a good, loving, tender, make all the people that are returning for the second time comfortable message. They don't know me at all. Because the fact of the matter is, even if I wanted to give you that, if the, God, if the Spirit of God tells us to do something else, we should do, do something else. And our something else is to tell you to contend for the faith. It's because of the resurrection, because of the work on the cross, the work that Jesus Christ did. This is a perfect sermon for after Easter. Listen, God has done all these incredible things for you. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, all the stuff that happened during the week, and Easter... Easter Sunday when he resurrected so that you might have eternal life. Let's make sure we protect what he gave us. Let's make sure we contend for the faith like a, 
like an athlete fights for the victory. That's what we're doing. We're fighting for the victory of the faith. And so he tells them, he said, I want to tell you something nice, but I can't tell you something nice. Because what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 and 2, let me, let me read that to you. What he said would happen, which is this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Will is a future tense word. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. These are all, guess what's going to happen? This will happen. This is a future thing. Peter and Jude wrote to the same set of churches. But Jude's telling them what Peter said will happen has already happened in your congregation. And you need to contend for the faith or it's going to get worse. That's a good word. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. I'm here to warn us today. Certain people have and will continue to creep in unnoticed to the church. Not just this one, but all churches. Because churches instinctively want to love people. They give place to, to people who victimize other people. Because we want to take them at face value. And we should love them and serve them and protect them. But while contending for the faith, which means I have to make sure that I'm understanding proper doctrine, that I need to know this book. I'm going to say it again, that I need to know this book. For certain peoples have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for condemnation, turning the grace of God into, con into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What had they done? What had they done? Sinful behavior, particularly sexually sinful behavior. But even in all their sinfulness, the worst thing that they did was to deny salvation by Christ Jesus. You can't do it. It's by Christ Jesus that you can do it. Don't try to put your hand to something expecting your hand to profit you. What you put your hand to that profits you, God gave you the ability to do, and God should get the honor and the glory and the credit for that. Amen. Never displace Jesus Christ in your life, church. What you have, you have because He gave it to you. You might be strong. You might be big. You might have been born into a lot of money. I don't care what your deal is. You think God can't take it away from you. He can. He took it away from Israel over and over and over again. He can take it away from us collectively and individually. And if it means bringing you back to Him, that's exactly what He'll do so that you no longer live in that licentious lifestyle, so that you no longer walk in that sin, so that you no longer deny Christ Jesus because when you have nothing else to fall back on, let me tell you what you're going to fall back on. You're going to fall back on what you know, and what you know is Jesus is real. You've just left Him set off aside because He was inconvenient for your position. But you'll come back to Him when you don't have any other position. I'm trying. Jude is telling them, be careful, for there are those among you who live their own, live for their own sake and exploit what God 
had given them. We have to stop. And then 5 through 7, he talks about the generation of Moses after they left Egypt and how they were destroyed and the angels who rebelled and how God destroyed them and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that were around them and how they sinned and God destroyed them. What do you think the common theme is? Let me tell you what. You live in your licentiousness. You live in your sin. You live with a denial of Christ Jesus. You live any other way than as Jesus Christ is Lord. And just like this generation, just like... Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll be destroyed too. And I don't want that for you. I know you don't want that for you. And for that reason, it's necessary that we take heed to the examples around us. I'm going to give you three statements that I've heard recently. I'm not going to name the pastor. I'm just going to tell you these statements so that you can understand what seems like a, man, that's a good post, man. I'd tweet that isn't always a good post. It's just cute. Pastors have got pastors, teachers, us individually have to stop trying to make the word cute. The word's not meant to be cute. The word's meant to be released. And these are the statements that I've heard in just the last little while. During a random preaching recently in this town, someone said Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on the rainbow word of God. That's false. He walked on the water according to the Word of God because he had faith in the spoken Word of Jesus Christ. But he didn't walk on the Word. He walked on the water. You're all, Pastor Jim, that seems like a small thing. Let me tell you, you take a hundred small things, you got one big thing, and your doctrine's all messed up, and then you're swayed every kind of way. We have to pay attention to our doctrine. People are like, it's just little words. Little words mean stuff. On Easter, last weekend, this was said. It wasn't finished on the cross. It was finished on the third day. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. And I'm going to get some phone calls this week, but that's okay. Because Jesus himself said it's finished on the cross. He said it is finished and then gave up his spirit. All the work that he could do was done on the cross so that you might have salvation. The resurrection proved that it was finished, but it wasn't finished there. Amen? They're small words, but are they? Another one during the George Floyd incident of last year or the year before that. A guy said, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to bring racial reconciliation. What? I know we're trying to make everybody happy, but that's not true. Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit for empowerment, for Christ's likeness and ministry. It just so happened that there were people from different nationalities there, but they were in unity before the Holy Spirit showed up. That's why the Holy Spirit showed up. They're just small words, Pastor Jim, until they're not just small words. People believe this trash. Right? I get get it. My pastor taught me, and when I say my pastor, Pastor Rick, told me, you can't make the Word say what it doesn't say. And when you try to make the Word say what it doesn't say, you're always going to misuse it. 
all these false teachings need to be contended against, need to be fought against. And I can't give you examples of all of them. But you know what I can do? I can tell you, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Now, I want to give a little bit of grace here because I'm not talking about pastors who are teaching out of their ignorance. Some pastors, they just they don't know that they don't know a particular thing. Now, before they open their mouth, they should study to make sure they know a particular thing. But sometimes we lean on our tradition. Sometimes we need to walk around a church and just start busting up traditions, start busting up golden calves. You know what? I don't know why we say that, but we shouldn't say that anymore. Amen? One of the things that gets me is the, I can't remember, the financial guy. Um, he's, people say, how you doing? And he goes, better than I deserve. Dave Ramsey. Man, you're the son of the Most High King. You claim to be a Christian. What do you mean better than you deserve? It's, it's small things, right? But it's not small things. It's life-altering things. Bumper sticker theology is killing us, man. Jesus is my co-pilot. Bro, you're lucky to be on the plane. Anyway, read your Bible because I can't give you every example. I can't show you what every false $20 bill looks like, but I can show you what the $20 bill looks like, and you can judge it against all the fake ones. These false teachers revile and hate what they don't understand. They hate things they should know by instinct, according to verse 10. Those things that are simply known, according to Romans, we know that God exists. Just by our very nature, we know that God exists. And yet they revile God, they hate God, and they hate the things about God, even though they should be able to determine that God is true just by instinct. How do you not walk outside, see creation, and it's all its masterful glory, and not know that God is real, exists, and loves you? Hmm. Come on. And then he says this, woe to them. Woe to them. And he, he makes three statements here that I could turn into a whole sermon. In verse 11, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. That doesn't mean a whole lot unless you actually study what those are. He said, woe to them. Let me tell you why. Because they have gone the way of Cain. You know what Cain was guilty of? You're like, well, he gave a wrong sacrifice. Giving a wrong sacrifice was kind of the problem, but the greater sin that Cain had, the way of Cain, was faith in salvation by anything other than an atonement. Sin can only be forgiven by the shedding of blood. He determined that the works of his hands could be given to God to save him. And let me tell you, the work of your hand can't be given to God to save you. It's by the atonement of Jesus Christ alone that we're saved. But we hear it all the time. Man, if you'll just do this, you'll be saved. You don't be just doing nothing except for declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. So they went by the, these, these false teachers, thought that they could have faith in something other than Jesus. They went to the error of Balaam. You know what Balaam did? Balaam the prophet went to God, was hired, by the enemies of Israel to go to God and God's people 
and curse Israel. God three times said, no, man, you can't do that. You can't curse what I've blessed, which is a word you guys need to grab a hold of. You can't curse what I've blessed. He goes back a second time. You can't curse what I've blessed. He goes back a third time. You can't curse what I've blessed. But Balaam was all about that money, baby. So you know what he did? Instead, according to Revelation 2.14, he went back and showed Israelites' enemy how to cause them to stumble for money. He couldn't curse them, but he could tell the enemy how to provoke the Israelites to sin. You know what his sin was? Love of money over righteousness. And then the, the rebellion of Korah. Korah was the one who came against Moses and Aaron and said, we don't believe that God gave you the authority to lead us. And Moses said, well, let's test it. And they went through this big, long test. At the end of the day, Aaron and Moses were the leaders that God chose, and Korah and all his family, all his animals, all his stuff, all his descendants ended up in a pit covered up with dirt and dead. So what did they do? What was their sin? Usurping authority. You may tell you the reason false teachers do what false teachers do? Because they think they can do it on their own? Because they have a love of money over relationship with God? And they, under, they don't understand authority and the fact that they haven't been given it. Almost all, all false teachers fall into one of these three brackets or all three of these brackets. And honestly, it's where most of our sin comes from. And he says, woe to them. Woe to them. I say again, woe to them. He calls them hidden reefs in our love feasts. What does that mean, Pastor Jim? Hidden reefs in our love feasts. Because love feasts sounds like a pagan ritual thing. Not in the time this was written. Love feast was the communion fellowship meal. He says, they're hidden reefs in your love feasts, and they're destroying you. What he's saying is, they're a reef just under the water in the time when you guys should be in fellowship, when you're in communion with God, that could sink the boat that you're in if you don't deal with them because they are baseless. They have no content. Guys, we need to pay attention. You know what, you know what, you know what the danger is of a reef just under the water? You can't see it till you're crashed upon it. You want to know why you need to know the Word of God and proper doctrine? So that you can see it before you're crashed upon it. Hmm. So how do we avoid being them? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about avoid being them. Because let me tell you this truth, and here's the truth. Those people, the people that would teach you falsely, will always produce fruit of their own kind. You sit and listen to them, you follow them long enough, you're going to turn into what they're in. So protect yourself. Protect your heart of worship. So how do we avoid being them and becoming them? In 17 through 25, we learn that protecting our heart means staying aligned with God's heart. But you, 
beloved, he's talking again to his audience, to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. There are the ones who will cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So he's saying, listen, there's going to be all these people. There's going to be people coming into the church. They're going to kind of try to divide the church. They're going to walk in ungodly lust. They're not going to be, they're not going to be full of the Spirit. They're going to be worldly-minded and expect you to be worldly-minded. One of the biggest problems, I think, with the church right now is we've tried so hard to win the lost, we've become the lost to win them. We've dumbed down the gospel to the degree, man, we just want some sinners in here. Can we get some sinners in here? Well, that's great. We need sinners in here. We're all sinners. But you know what? If you dumb it down so much that they want to come here because it's like a concert to them, you can't teach them. If you act like them, you can't teach them. If you act like them, you can't lead them. Our responsibility is to protect the heart of worship in this place. And then he continues. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus. You want to know how not to become these people or fall victim to these people? It says this. First, build yourself up in your most holy faith. How do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? How do you build your faith? According to Romans 10, 17, by hearing the word of God. You want to make sure you don't want to become one of these people? Know what the real $20 bill looks like. It's that simple. Pray in the Spirit. We are to commune with God in prayer while allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our prayers. That is both praying in our intellect and praying in our spiritual language. Both of these are necessary. You want to make sure you don't become one of these? Commune with God regularly. Have a prayer life. Let me tell you, the closer you get to God, the more He's going to instruct you, the more you're going to become familiar with His voice. And the more you become familiar with His voice, the less likely you are to, to listen to false teaching, to even stand in it or want to. Praying in the Spirit. And then finally, and I love this, anxiously waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Read the Word, pray, and just be anxious about the fact that Jesus is coming back for me. Be so anxious, in fact. Be so ready, in fact. Be so pure, in fact, that you're convinced that that could even happen right now. If you thought Jesus was coming back before the end of the day, how would you act? Would you act differently than if you knew he wasn't coming back for at least 10 years? Yeah, probably. Most of us would. But I'll tell you, you got no promise he's not coming back today, so you should live anxiously as though he's coming back for you today. You want to make sure you're not one of those people? Do that. But while doing that, love others. He says, have mercy on those who are doubting. There are people out here that, man, they're wondering, man, is my faith substantiated? Show compassion to them. Be tender with them. Be gentle with them. 
show them the error of their way that they might be swayed again to the faith. Amen? Save others, snatching them out of the fire. There are some that won't know him at all. There's an old saying that we should stand so close, close to the gates of hell we smell like smoke. People are going to hell every day and we seem completely satisfied with the idea. But then there's this. And on some have mercy with fear. It says still try to reach them. But don't reach them by engaging them. Don't reach them by participating in what they're participating in. That's going to cause you a great deal of harm. Because it says, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You know what that means? It's a reference to a garment that might have disease on it. If I gave you this sport coat, it's a pretty nice sport coat. And I gave it to the gave this to you, and you knew it had leprosy on it, would you put it on? It's a question. No. Why? Because it's got leprosy on it. Doesn't matter how pretty it is. And so I'm going to tell you something. Because I believe that we have to protect the anointing in the house. We have to protect sound doctrine. We have to protect our worship. We're no longer here at this church going to be listening to Hillsong music, Bethel music, or Elevation music. And that's going to, some people are going to be all, Pastor Jim, those, I love those songs. Those songs are theologically sound. They might be, but what source are they coming from? Let me tell you, Hillsong covered up sexual impropriety in the 90s and the pastor just fell due to drug abuse and sexual perversions. Bethel Church dabbles in witchcraft but they write good songs. They dabble in witchcraft. Where's that source? Elevation Church believes in modalism which means they don't have a proper view of the Trinity. The pastor of Elevation Church says I am the with the greatness of God. I am the, what do you say, Trent? I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty? Are you serious? You're not God Almighty. You ought to be struck dead on your stage. And I know when people see this on TV, I'm going to get some slack. People are going to call me. I don't care because we can't put on a sport coat, even if it's pretty, if it's diseased. And for that reason, I'm going to challenge you to do this. I don't know if any of you own one. If you have a Passion Translation Bible, put it in the trash. You're like, wait a minute, you want me to put a Bible in the trash? No, I don't want you to put a Bible in the trash. I want you to put the Passion Translation in the trash. That's not a real Bible. That's not a real translation. That's an assessment of the Scripture at very best by a guy by a single guy, not a council of theologians, pastors, and scholars, but by a single guy who says he was called up to heaven and God told him that he was going to give him an additional chapter to the Gospel of John. My Bible says you shouldn't take anything away from or add to the Scripture or you'll be cursed. For us to stand and say that we're okay with that, if we can't defend the Word of God, what can we defend? And if you own one, I'm going to 
I'm going to assume it's because you didn't know that, and it's okay, but get rid of it. And if you bought it, and it's the only one you could afford, and you want another one, this church will replace that Bible with a sound translation for free, and it'll be a nice Bible. But we have to learn to protect the heart of worship so that God is glorified in all things. Amen? That's my challenge today. That's Jude's challenge 2,000 years ago. Protect the heart of worship. Let us be a place that protects the heart of worship. Because until we get it right, we can't help anybody else get it right.